How's everyone doing? Good. It's good to see everybody here. I'm getting used to seeing faces behind masks, and you all are getting really good at smiling with your eyes, so I appreciate that. Really good to be together. Um, I'm excited to teach. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Covenant Church, and I wanted to start our time together by playing a sound, and hopefully some of you in this room recognize this sound, and you don't leave me hanging. So if you do, even young kids, if you recognize this sound, just shout it out. Tell me what this is. All right, let me see if I can bring this up here. Hopefully the mic picks it up and you can hear it at home. You ready? Does anyone know what that's from? Don't leave me hanging here. No. Oh, man, this might fall flat. That's the sound of electronic talking battleship. That's the sound of our torpedo making its way over to a ship. So this is a game that I was just enthralled with as a kid. So I didn't have the normal battleship game. I had the electronic talking battleship, which was just this immersive experience of the battleship game, right? So we would enter in our ships and you'd have all the pegs. Any of you remember battleship with the white pegs and the red pegs and you sort them, you set up your ships and you'd be playing, you know, there's different strategies in the game. I was more of the strategy where I would try and line up my ships so that it would look like the aircraft carrier, but really it was just a bunch of the bottom of the ships, you know? You're trying to, to strategize your opponent, and then there's those ones that kind of, sometimes you'd put ships in the four different corners and whatnot. But, so this was a game that I played a lot, and, and you set up ships, you go back and forth, and this talking version had all the sound effects, the hits, the... The, it let you know when you were the victor at the end, but there was one part that I remember, and in studying through this last section of Ephesians, it brought this phrase to mind, but when we were setting up the battleship game, you'd enter in all the coordinates, then you'd hit start, and then this siren would go off, and you'd hear this voice saying, prepare for battle, prepare for battle. You'd just get into it, right? I was in the, I was in the battleship then. As I was reading through Paul's closing to Ephesians, I couldn't help but hear that same alarm. I couldn't help but hear him saying that same alarm, prepare for battle. It was a reminder that we're, what we've been going through in these indicatives of who God is, we call them these truth bombs of who God is and how he interacts with his people. As we shifted into the back half of the letter, these imperatives, what was these 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 ideas to follow. I don't want to say rules because we don't want to get, we don't want to scoot into moralism there, but there were these, then what? So given all that we know about God and how he interacts with his people, how should we respond? And then this last portion of the letter, I can hear Paul saying, prepare for battle, prepare for battle. This is what I've called Paul's battle plan for Believers, it's kind of the big idea for the morning is the battle plan of a believer starts with an awareness of the enemy, a confidence in our abilities, and if I could add to that, our confidence in our abilities in Christ and submission to God's authority. So the battle plan of a believer starts with an awareness of the enemy, confidence in our ability in Christ. There's that phrase in Christ that we've been hearing all throughout the book of Ephesians. And then also our submission to God's authority. Sort of divided it up into these three segments. One, perception, preparation, and prayer. So as we go through this passage, remember these three 
titles. Perception, preparation, and prayer. Awareness of the enemy, confidence in our abilities in Christ, and submission to God's authority. So this week we're gonna be teaching in that classic portion of scripture that is the armor of God. And I'd like to pray for us as we dig into God's word. Heavenly Father, we submit to your authority. Amen. God, we recognize that you are far above our understanding and our comprehension, that your kingdom, where you exist, in that kingdom realm, God, you invite us to participate in that. You invite us to see little glimpses of that in our lives and here on earth. And we invite you to do that now. God, we are earnestly looking towards your word. We want to learn. We want to know you more and more. We, know how, we want to know how to be citizens of your kingdom here on earth. God, take these moments that we look at these closing remarks from Paul to the Ephesians. Let them just pierce to our hearts, Father. Let, us con- let them convict us where we need to be convicted of our own walk with you, our own lifestyle. And let that bring about change, the change that is rooted in the truth of your word. What a blessing to be able to open up this book and grow closer to you. So bless this time. We, pl- we pray this through the mighty power of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at this last portion of Paul's letter to the Ephesians in three parts. Perception, preparation, and prayer. The first, perception. It's going to start with verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. God's armor. Make a note of that. So that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's interesting, Paul closes out these final remarks with that phrase, heavenly places. And I don't know if you remember, but all the way back in chapter one, Paul reminds us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places. That phrase, heavenly places, is pronounced epuranios. The Greek word epuranios, and that means heavenly places. The same word is used at the beginning of the letter. Well, I can't do that. At the beginning of the letter and at the end of the letter. So we need to make note of that, that Paul recognizes that the same place that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing is where he talks about this opposition. It's the same sphere of spiritual activities. Paul reminds us that there's a war happening in this realm. There's an opposition to those spiritual blessings that he reminded us in the first chapter. I think it's important that we pause on this I think too often we can read the back half of Ephesians and we can start to move into it being moralism, just a list of do's and don'ts. Maybe we we think, oh, this is kind of like a list to better relationships sort of thing. 
Well, Paul's pausing on right here is reminding us that it's not a matter of following rules. It's not a matter of moralism, being a good person or having good relationships. At the root of it all, what's happening is there's a war going on in these spiritual realms. It's otherworldly, and we're a part of that. We decide which side of that battle we're on. We decide which side of that battle we're committed to. Underneath all of what Paul's writing to the Ephesians is this idea that there's a war going on. And we need to live every day aware of that. Just as we talk about God's kingdom, there is a a kingdom that is opposed to everything that God is for. Paul's reminding us of our enemy. Look back in verse 10. Sorry, go back two slides, Rose. Stand firm against the strategies of the devil. I like the the NLT version there because of the word strategies. Right, that phrase, know your your friends, keep keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. Is that what it is? Right. That's what he's saying here. Know your enemy. Know how he operates. Know that this realm exists, but then know that opposition. Strategies. Scheming. The devil is a great deceiver, and it's worth looking at that a little little bit more. I heard deception once explained to me this way, is that if if I hit you, like if I came up to you and I struck you and I punched you, you'd know it was me. If I, if I said something evil about you, if I slandered you, you would know that it's me. If I deceived you, you would know it's me. That's how the devil operates, strategizing. Look in 1 Peter where Peter writes, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So in this heavenly realm, there's this opposing evil. And how does he operate? He's prowling around like a roaring lion. You see that imagery of, you ever seen a lion on the plains and it just kind of is moving ever so slowly, just kind of prowling around. And there's this deception that, no, I'm okay. He'll be okay. I'm fine. I'm just walking around. And then next thing you know, strikes, right? It gets into that stance where it's ready to pounce. That's the devil. That's how he operates within this spiritual realm. That's how that spiritual realm bumps into us here on earth. It's that deception. So we know our enemies. We need to know our enemies. We need that perception of what's really happening. What's really happening in that argument that I had with a friend at school What's really happening in my heart? What's really happening in that argument that I had with my spouse? What's really happening as I'm complaining about the driver in front of me? Right? The first thing the devil wants you to think is, it's no big deal. It's just a... Right? Did it really, is it really going to make a difference? They got really say, don't eat that fruit. 
Day one. That's how the enemy operates. That's who we're up against. Prowling like a roaring lion. So what do we do? What do we do? Thankfully, Paul puts in another one of those therefores. He says, therefore, in verse 13, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith. Stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. Let's look at this in two different parts. The first one where Paul says to stand. And the second where he says to hold up. First, he says to stand. When we think of standing, we think of standing your ground, right? We're digging our heels in. Backwards is not an option, only forward. Resolute in our stance as we prepare for battle. How do we stand firm? It's important that when Paul's using imagery here of a soldier that people would be familiar with, the occupation of Rome, right, made people very familiar with how Roman soldiers dressed. So he's using this imagery to really help it hit home with the people of that time. He says to stand firm, first with the belt of truth. So a belt in that time would be something where you would almost tie up your robe, like you're ready to get down to business. That idea of girding up. So the belt of truth is kind of holding everything in place as we dig our heels in and we're ready for battle. And it's the truth that we know of God, who he is, how he interacts with his people throughout history. That's shoring everything up from, for us. So as we prepare for battle, it's the belt of truth, just tying everything in place, getting ready for us to take that next step. Next piece of armor, he says, the body armor of God's righteousness, or some translations call it the breastplate of righteousness. And that is us reflecting God's righteousness. That's not self-righteousness. And you think of a Roman soldier at the time, that was that big piece over their chest that they would make it look chiseled and they'd make it look intimidating to its enemy. We have God's righteousness as we lead, right? So that's like our... We're making an impression on our enemy as we equip ourselves with the righteousness of God. It's also a reminder for us to pursue that righteousness. So we have that belt of truth holding things together. We got that breastplate of righteousness that we're leading with. Finally, Paul says, we stand with shoes, readiness of the gospel of peace so that you will be fully prepared. Some um, commentaries, some translations will look at these, the, the um, shoes and they'll say it's the shoes of the gospel, shoes of the gospel of peace. It's worth pausing there too, and this is, 
This is something that God's really been working in my heart, and it's on my heart to share with each one of you, is the idea of peace, especially coming into the Advent season, where that word peace is heard. And that's that peace is not the same as rest. Peace is not always the same as rest. I think too often we hear the phrase, the gospel of peace, and we we believe that that gospel is going to usher in this season of rest. And what did we learn in the Sermon on the Mount? What was the last one? Blessed are those who are persecuted. There will be seasons of rest. But peace does not always mean rest. And I think of it this way. We look at the, the last day of our Savior leading up to the cross. You know that when Jesus was on the cross, he experienced the wrath of God. He experienced separation from God. But for those what was it, nine hours leading up, to, leading up to the crucifixion, I believe that Jesus was experiencing the peace of God. Amidst all of the persecution, there was a peace. What did that peace allow him to do? Take the next step towards the cross and the next step towards the cross. So I don't think it's any coincidence that Paul is talking about these shoes of readiness in the gospel of peace. Because that's, the, those, that's, that's a part that's going to have to take that next step. So when we think of the peace of God, do not, convince, do not confuse it with rest. Sometimes we need that gospel of peace to take that step forward, especially that step forward into battle. So when he talks about these shoes, he's talking about them being equipped with that peace so that we'll be fully prepared to take that step. So here we are standing our ground with that belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, those shoes that are equipped with the readiness to take that step when God calls, to take that step when the Spirit leads. Standing firm. Paul says, stand in this. Ready yourself. Then he goes on. He says, hold up these things. Hold up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. So here we are, ready to take that step, ready to head into battle, ready to meet the enemy. We're holding up these items. The shield of faith, Paul says we use that to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. In those times, a shield was this massive rectangle, right? The Roman shield. And I'm sure you've seen in movies, like they they have these formations where they were interlocked with one another and they'd have them above their heads. They'd have them in front of them. They create this barricade. But a shield was not only a defensive weapon, it was an offensive weapon. So the shield would be, they would create these barricades and then they would move forward. They move forward. They press into, press into the enemy, press into the enemy. I I don't think it's any coincidence that Paul also refers to faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of the things that we cannot see. You can imagine being there 
behind these shields, these barricades, and getting that command to just move, 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 one more step, one more step. So we take on this shield of faith. Next, Paul says, equip yourself with the helmet of salvation. This has got to be my favorite one. The helmet of salvation. What have we learned all through Ephesians? That phrase, in Christ. What did Pastor Greg say about being in Christ? It means whatever is true of Christ is true of us. When we put that helmet on, what does the enemy see? This is Christ, in Christ. Back then, the, the helmet was also that piece of armor that was used to, um, to show rank, to show regiment. It was identity. Your identity could be seen in your helmet. Here we are, ready to step into battle. We put that helmet of salvation on. What's killer for the enemy is he knows that when we step into that battle, that the victory's already been won. Imagine the intimidation <laughs> that you would experience if somebody came at you, this identity that you knew, I don't even stand a chance. Amen. That helmet of salvation. Lastly, this is the sword of the Spirit. The sword is the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here, the Greek word for the word of God is this word here, rhema. It refers to a teaching or a prophetic utterance or more specifically, the gospel. So we read in, in Hebrews 4.12 where the writer talks about the word of God being like a, a double-edged sword. Interestingly, that is not the same word translated in Paul's closing to the Ephesians. He's talking about specifically the gospel. The gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that Jesus suffered so that we could take up this sword with the power of the Holy Spirit and just swat down the enemy by his power. Romans 5.8 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The sword of the spirit, that is the word of God, that is the gospel message. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's power that drives every blow to the enemy. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is a part of every battle that we face. This same gospel has the ability to, to pierce. This is what Hebrews 4.12 is saying. It has the ability to pierce to the very core of our hearts and of our souls. This is what's happening in the spiritual realm. 
when Paul talks about these battles, these forces, he's reminding us that there's this, he's using the best way he knows possible at that time to convey something spiritual. So he's using this imagery for us to really wrap our heads around what is happening. What is happening when I have that argument? What is happening when I have that hardened heart towards someone else? What is the consequence? Paul's reminding us that there's spiritual consequences to this. Thank God that we are prepared and and equipped through the power of his Holy Spirit in Christ to face these enemies. So perception, preparation, and lastly, Paul emphasizes prayer. Probably the most important part is prayer. That's our obedience. That's us crying out to God. That's us wanting to align our hearts with God's heart. That's what prayer is. is it's an alignment of wills. We're asking God to just, where you are and where I'm at, please, God, will you just bring those together? Sometimes God moves where we're at, just like we're going to celebrate in Advent. And sometimes he moves us a little bit closer to where he's at. And when we're praying to God, it's an alignment of our will. So Paul's emphasizing the importance of prayer. Because this isn't just a do's and don't list. And we know full well that if we try and pull up our bootstraps and work through these things, we're going to fail. It's constant prayer. It says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly as I should. Paul's wants prayer, is asking for prayer for that same readiness that's found in the gospel of peace to continue to speak boldly. We're not fighting against flesh and blood armies. So we don't fight with flesh and blood weaponry. Paul understands the importance of prayer. He asked for prayer at the beginning of the letter, and now he's asking for prayer again at the end of the letter. And that prayer is that our, right, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God, we want to be closer to where you're at and what you're doing and how you're seeing things. And they may seem like little inconsequential things that we're dealing with in the world. Paul's reminding us that there's a spiritual realm that these things are happening. And there's eternal consequence. That's not threatening. 
because of all of that armor that he listed off. That's an opportunity to step into what God is doing and be equipped and ready. Because like I said, at the end, we remember where victory lies, amen? We know where victory lies. The battle plan of a believer starts with an awareness of the enemy, a confidence of our ability in Christ and submission to God's authority. Where is God speaking to you in your own life? Do you need to be more aware, more prepared? Or is it that last one of submission? Are we aware of these things, but our lifestyle isn't such that we build our lives around these understandings? I pray that God convicts each one of us here in one, two, maybe three, all of those areas. If this is something that God is convicting you of, and I would ask you too to reach out for prayer. Because again, we common theme that we've learned through Ephesians is this idea of unity. One commentary that I studied actually mentioned that there was plurality all throughout this closing, these closing remarks from Paul. So there was plurality in the language. So he's still speaking to a group for the sake of the group, for the sake of unity. I pray that moving forward, that God continues to work in each of our hearts, especially as a church, as we move more and more towards wanting to build a lifestyle around that kingdom mindset. It brings this passage to mind. We find ourselves in these battles, but victory is already ours. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, God, let us reframe our lives around these truths. God, remind us that what we experience here on earth is not it. God, your word says it's just a vapor. Comes and goes compared to eternity. But yet here we are. Kingdom citizens. Living in this world. God, we need to be reminded of the kingdom and the king that we serve. God, what a great reminder also to know that you invite us to be a part of your kingdom. That this victory that we proclaim in Christ is ours, not just yours. So God, let us build our lives around you and your kingdom. 
continue week after week to remind us of that kingdom citizenship. And God, as we move through different seasons as a church, as we look ahead and we look at Advent, where we're reminded where your kingdom, you established your kingdom here on earth. God, let us all, let that all be framed by who you are and how you interact with your people, God. God, we want eyes to see these things. Continue to use your spirit to reveal these things to us. We pray these things in the mighty, mighty power of your son, Jesus. Amen.